This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most Indiana employees working for the Internal Revenue Service. My name's Larry Landon. I'm a volunteer with NTEU Chapter 49 and a retiree. And normally, these podcasts, uh, weekly ones, are with uh, Duncan Giles and myself. Last week, we had a guest, the Vice President of Chapter 49, Kathy Corbin. We have a very special guest this week, and I'm going to turn this over to our president of the chapter, Duncan Giles, to introduce our guest on this podcast. Thank you very much, Larry. Yeah, we do have a very special guest today, um, a gentleman I've known so um, <laughs> so long that when we both met, both of our hair was dark. Um, and I'd like to welcome NTU National President Tony Reardon to the podcast. Well, good um, afternoon, don't... Tony. Good afternoon uh, to both uh, you, Duncan, and uh, you as well, Larry. I, I will tell you that I am um, uh, very honored uh, to uh, uh, be invited and to also participate in uh, this podcast. Now, let me, let me just also say this. Um, I happen to be a fan of the Chapter uh, 49 podcast. Every single week when you guys uh, put this out, since uh, you, you first did uh, several weeks ago, um, I have uh, I, I've listened to the entire thing, and and I really love what you guys are uh, what you guys are doing. You know, I do I do quite a few uh, media interviews, but I have to tell you, I am I am really looking forward to this uh, oh so much more than uh, than, than one of those. Um, although I enjoy those too, so I'm looking forward to this. So thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you, and it's an honor to have you as well. Just so you know, uh, uh, when Duncan first met me, I had more hair and darker hair and a dark beard at the same time. So we've known each other for a while. You probably don't remember this, Tony. You and I first met in 1997. It was at a Las Vegas training session when I was vice president of the chapter a long time ago. So uh, we, I'm sure you don't. What's that? You know what? I actually, Larry, I actually do remember that, and the um, the uh, you know getting together with with folks at uh, Chapter Forty Nine. As Duncan said, I've known him so long, and I have I have candidly a real um, not only a special um, relationship with uh, with Duncan, but uh, I, I feel anyway also with uh, uh, with the chapter. So it is it is very good to uh, talk to you again. I would, uh, if I can ask the first question, I'll let Duncan jump in later. I do want to ask one thing because I, I did notice today on uh, the Politico Daily Tax Newsletter, I think it's called Morning Tax. It's, it's daily now. It's going to go to month weekly, I think, next month. But you are quoted extensively in that article about safety issues at the various IRS offices. So my first question to you is, as the IRS begins slowly to open up some of uh, the offices for people to come in and work, the, the mountain of work that's piled up uh, during this tax filing season. Uh, tell me about how you have gone about doing the best you can to uh, to work with the service to, to try and get the best safety measures in place uh, that are possible under the circumstances. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And I, I will tell you, you know, fortunately, um, I have some really um, outstanding people around me, uh, both in uh, terms of uh, Jim Bailey, our national executive vice president, as well as a lot of really uh, bright staff and a lot of uh, uh, local chapter presidents and leaders that are that are very helpful. Um, one of the things that I did early on is uh, I went over to the IRS headquarters at 1111 Constitution Avenue, and I met with 
the uh, commissioner, Commissioner Reddick, and uh, some of his senior staff. And I suggested, and he ultimately agreed, that we, we both put together what we called our COVID-19 teams. And the idea early on was, um, Larry, for us to um, have those, those uh, uh, two teams meet every single day. And for, for many weeks, that's exactly what happened. And, and so what they did was they started dealing with all of the issues that we were that we were aware of on our own at the national office, but then also um, brought into the um, into the discussions, of course, those issues that we were hearing um, from chapters. And so, what it really did is it provided us um, uh, provided us nationally an opportunity to kind of get all of the issues dealt with at one place, um, and and. That was our sort of avenue to getting to all of the BODs and dealing with all of the various issues in, in each of the BODs. And right away, you know, we started, we started dealing with, um, you know, all the things that we were hearing, such as, um, you know, we knew that uh, the agency did not have uh, fully stocked supplies of hand sanitizers and wipes and gloves for those handling mail. Um, and and we knew that, you know, social distancing was not taking place. And so we went right at the IRS immediately to try to get those things dealt with. And I'll be candid with you. At the outset, um, I, was, um, I was unimpressed, candidly, with the speed with which the IRS was responding to what we knew was um, a very, very serious problem and something that it was critically important to get out in front of. And that, and that simply uh, did not happen. So we've we've uh, continued to stay on top of the IRS. Ultimately, they kind of caught up candidly and and started, uh, you know, making sure that they uh, provided um, uh, telework, you know, uh, maximum telework and started addressing the issues that really needed to be addressed. And, you know, I had somebody um, ask me, a media person uh, asked me the other day if I thought um, the slow start that I've claimed that the IRS had was somehow, um, you know, the fact that they didn't care. And, and candidly, you know, I would be the first one to, to jump in and say, if I thought, you know, I, I'd say, hey, look, I don't believe the IRS cares about its employees, if in fact I felt that were the case. But I don't think that's what it was here. I think, I think no one expected uh, a pandemic and an and agency an organization the size of the IRS to get it kind of ready to um, ready to move on something uh, of this size, I think just takes a long time. And, and so I think ultimately the IRS was able to kind of catch up and they've done, a, I think, a much better job. Although we're still, of course, looking um, very closely at, at how they're um, dealing with all of the issues. And there are issues that we still have with them. Uh, Duncan, I'll let you ask the next question. Um, my, my, first off, I want to say I agree with you, Tony. I don't think it's ill intention at all. I just think that they were overwhelmed, weren't sure how to handle everything, had some plans in place, but I don't think anybody could plan for something like this uh, unless you went back and opened up the 1918 archives. Um, right. Uh, one of the things that you know we've both heard a lot about our um, folks who are going to want to come back are going to be called back, but they've got child care issues. 
and we both know that the service is basically throwing up their hands and saying, we'd really love to do something, but we can't, so we're not. Is there anything more that you've heard on that front to give any sort of hope to the folks that have nowhere to put their children while, if they have to go into an office? Well, you know, I, I think you've, you've pretty accurately depicted the situation, um, Duncan, that, you know, I think, I think my, my sense is that the IRS is, um, they are interested in trying to find a way to do something. But one of the things that, that you know, it, it's not a good answer, but I think it is, um, it is nonetheless what we are all sort of contending with. The IRS um, is not able, in my view, to do everything that they want to do. They have to go to Treasury, and uh, Treasury ultimately is the one who is, in many instances, calling the shots. So you ask if there um, is any hope that that someone who has child care issues, child care concerns, children at home, and school's out, and there aren't summer camps, and, you know, all those things, do they have any hope? And I would say that um, as long as NTEU is in the picture, there's always hope. And so what do I mean by that? We continue um, to really push the IRS to try to get them to, um, you know, utilize some of the flexibilities that would, that would make life so much easier, um, you know, whether it's through MaxiFlex or some other um, avenue to help um, employees so that they can manage, better manage their personal lives and their, and their work lives. In my view, it is incumbent upon the agency, the IRS, to assist employees um, as much as it possibly can to, uh, uh, to help them make it through this situation. Look, because you have young children right now, it is not your fault that there is a pandemic uh, going on. And so I think it's, it's the responsibility of the uh, agency to help um, employees get through this. If, if I can follow up on that, the uh, one thing I've noted, and if you've listened to our podcast, you know I brought this up before, and I think there's something very much in the interest of the service that if, you know how people are, I mean, their families are number one with them, and many IRS employees have great skills. They could go out in the open market and do something else. If child care becomes an issue and they cannot return to work because of the child care issues, I mean, I would have to think that you've brought this up yourself, that the service has is looming the possibility of losing some excellent employees to either another agency or, or, or to the, the private sector. Yeah, you know, Larry, you, you touch on a very important uh, issue, and, and certainly we have, we have brought that up. Now, you know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, maybe the IRS feels like, you know, unemployment is so high and all that through, through this right now, people aren't going to leave. And, you know, I, I, I mean, how the heck do I know, right? I mean, maybe that's true. But here's how that plays out. We, 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 all, uh, we all know this, right, that it plays out that people say, wait a second. So if you don't care about my, me as a person and my, and my family life uh, any more than that, yeah, maybe for right now I do need to uh, uh, maintain this job. But in the long run, um, I'm going to do what I can to get out as quickly as I can. And in the interim, um, you're not going to get the best version of me that you can have. And I think that is absolutely unfortunate because, you know, in my uh, 30 years or so at, um, at NTE, 
one there is a there is a common theme I think um, about um, uh, NTEU members and federal employees in general, and it certainly holds true for IRS employees, and that is they are proud to do the mission of the agency, and they and they they're proud to do the work, and they want to do the work, and they're here at the IRS for a reason, and so. It is critically important, as important as the IRS is to the um, to the economy of this country. It is important that they do what the, that the agency does what it can to um, empower uh, employees and to do right by them, so that uh, they keep those employees around for a long time. Duncan, I'll let you ask the next question. Yeah, I. I I'm again right with you, Tony. It's just I'm I'm just shaking my head yes and. It's just such a frustrating situation for everybody, and I think for IRS management as well uh, on this. You know, another frustrating situation, What and one of the things that cracks me up is the expanded uh, telework, where they've said we, for years, as you and I both know, we can't do telework. We can't do telework for CSRs. We just can't do it. We don't have the availability. All of a sudden now they can, and... Then they're like, well, now once this pandemic's over, we're going to want to bring everybody back in. And as I've told executives, you know, I said, that genie's out of the bottle now. I don't think you're going to be able to put it back in. What what type of thoughts do you have on that issue? Well, you know, um, Duncan, I think you're exactly right. I, I think that, you know, we have fought. And, and look, you've been a part of this fight. Um, and chapter presidents across the country have been a part of this fight. Um, I certainly have been a part of it. We have been fighting for so long, trying to get the IRS to um, expand telework. And we've heard all of the excuses in the book, um, uh, all the way to things like we don't have the budget and we haven't been able to check the security and, and you know, we've not, we've not really honed in on how to make sure everything's secure and all the excuses that they've, that they've historically used. Um, and, and now, you know, We've, we've demonstrated and employees have demonstrated that not only can it be successful, but that employees are highly productive um, when they're on telework. Now, do I believe that at some point the agency is going to say, well, you know what, there's a vaccine now or the country is just totally open now and, you know, we need people to get back to work, uh, you know, in the workplace. I think that's entirely a possibility, but one of the things that I can assure you is that we are going to be working um, at the national level, and I know you, Duncan, at the chapter level, um, we're all going to be sort of combining our forces here um, as the one force that we are in TEU, and we're going to be doing everything we can to make sure that uh, telework becomes a permanent option uh, for those who prefer working from a telework uh, location. So we're going we're gonna to work hard on making that an option that's available to people. And I think, you know, what ultimately um, do we, you know, if we're running an organization, what do we want to do? We want to make sure that we meet the mission um, in as efficient and an effective manner as possible, right? And, and so if that's our goal, and one of the ways that um, some of our employees, maybe vast numbers of our employees, um, are going to be happy uh, um, accomplishing their 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 uh, uh, workplace goals um, is is through uh, working telework. Then I'll tell you what, as a as a leader of an organization, I'm going to work real hard 
making sure that they have that option so that they are truly engaged employees because ultimately that's that's how you uh, have a high-performing organization. You know, I've been around a lot. I was around the IRS for 28 years before I retired about eight years ago. And I, I remember that the very first test that was done in what the service and NTU in those days called FlexiPlace, that uh, when that first pilot was done. It was done in Seattle, Washington, and it was part of an ACS operation. And that means automated collection system, phone work, uh, doing collections. And it was actually a success. But when FlexiPlace, when we called it then, now we call it telework and other things, It's it was a situation where... Um, it's a situation where the service said, well, we did it once, we can't do it again. And it basically was the field people and a few other uh, people throughout the service who were able to take advantage of working at home. And that was before we had the, the technology we have today. So I, I guess the, the after spending about at least 15 years, maybe longer, in my IRS career working telephones, I think the option, and you, you put it, well, not everyone would want to do this or be able to do it, but I think... To me, having telework as an option for people working these customer service phones would be a recruiting and retention issue. I'm just curious what data you've seen or what your views are on that. Well, I think it absolutely will be would be a huge um, uh, recruiting mechanism for uh, the agency. And candidly, I mean, I think this would be true across um, the entire economy, whether it's the government, um, it's private enterprise. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if, if you're able to be comfortable in your work environment and you take, for some people, you're going to take um, three hours, two hours out of their commute. Holy mackerel. I mean, you are going to get a better rested, a more engaged employee. And, and I think that becomes a huge recruiting uh, tool. We all recognize that... Um, individuals are not going to get rich working for the United States government. And so it is important for the government um, through um, providing, you know, other means to really attract the best and the brightest. There are a lot of people out there that say, you know what, I get it. I'm not going to get wealthy, but I'm going to get all these other benefits one of which I think is very attractive is telework. And so as a result, you know what, I want because because I coach my, my kids' soccer team or baseball team or basketball team or I go to church choir or whatever it is, it provides them more time to better balance their personal and their work lives. And so, so that's really, really important. And, and we all know that we want to have the absolute best uh, government um, workforce, civil service um, in the world. And I think we have that, but if we don't take care of our federal employees, we risk losing it. Duncan, you're next. Uh, my next one's going to be on two topics that haven't really been hit yet um, this this time of year, but they're going to be coming up later, up later on in the fall, and people are going to be wanting to know. And of course, that's going to be uh, pay raise, or as I see it, lack thereof, and our wonderful new awards pools that the IRS, quote, negotiated with us, if, if you call negotiating with a freaking gun to our head, um, 
and I just think that it's it's not going to be pleasant for either possibility on this. And I've told folks on the awards that if you're not sitting on a 4.6, you're probably going to be hard-pressed to get one just because of the fact that the way the IRS has compressed everything. What, what do yeah. you think on pay raise and on awards? Yeah, let me, let me touch first on um, uh, awards. You know, Duncan, you, you know this well, and so I want, uh, you know, the, the members to know. You're right. The IRS has uh, put out the uh, word that, that um, the pools that they now have are, you know, have been negotiated um, and, and with NTEU. And nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I I had um, personal conversations with the leadership at um, the IRS, and we made very clear to them what the impact of their proposal was going to be and how it was going to neg- negatively impact a, a large number in the thousands, in the couple of thousands, um, large number of people who, you know, up to this point have received an award and now won't simply because the agency wasn't willing to... Um, uh, spend a little bit more money on um, having people, um, uh, you know, use a, a, a system that um, you know they they could have they could have uh, um, automated it, and they and they chose not to take the time and spend the money, and it was only and it would only be a little bit of money to automate the pool process, and and so as a result. What ends up happening, because they didn't want to do that, they're going to negatively impact these couple thousand employees. And here we go again, you know, hitting the, the morale of the employees. And, and where, you know, awards are supposed to, just by their design, to really, you know, give an attaboy to those um, employees who are high performing, what they end up doing is taking something that is, really such a good thing or should be a good thing and they've found a way to turn it into a negative and um boy i can't think of a worse way to um to deal with your uh with your employees so it is not anything that nteu uh negotiated and agreed to and we were very vocal uh through the entire process saying what a mistake this was going to be and in fact i was personally a part of some uh very um um, energetic and unfriendly conversations with IRS leadership over over this issue. Before you go to before you go to pay raise, can I add yeah. one little quick thing to that? Because I started as a steward in the late '80s, and that was when the awards program was first negotiated nationally. And in those days, uh, the local chapters negotiated with their local management. And I remember the late George Bilkey. I'm sure you remember well. George was quite a complicated guy. But one thing he was very good at was uh, negotiating contracts. So we had a contract that, that other people uh, would come in and ask about because everybody with a 4.0 got $125. If you had a higher uh, evaluation than that, there was uh, the remaining pool was dished out based on, on your score, on your evaluation, and, and some other things. And so what I what I would like you to comment on is from that point when the local chapters negotiated these these contracts for awards and you basically did it on a local level. Now we've gone to a, a point where, you know, it's a national pool 
And uh, I don't know about you, I, I, from what I've talked to Duncan about this, and he's been involved as well, isn't it true that a whole lot of people around the country who are accustomed to receiving an award may not get one this year? Yeah, I mean, not, you know, our numbers are, you know, that it's going to be probably uh, a little more than uh, 2,000 people, um, you know, just based on our quick calculations. I mean, obviously, we don't have all the final numbers, so we can't. Uh, tell exactly what what the numbers are, but but we're we're guessing that it's going to, and it's an educated guess that it's going to be um, you know a little more than two thousand people, and you know the problem is that um, you're going to have you're going to have you have different pockets in the country that might grade you know that might evaluate a little easier, some evaluate a little harder depending on where you are, and the way that we had all of the the many pools. And the reason we had the many pools in the past was to make sure that you were really um, kind of competing, if you will, against um, people who are essentially evaluated kind of this, you know the same way. Now it's this national pool, and so you know you don't get the benefit of those uh, geographic-based pools that we that we've had in the past, and and as a result, you're you're going to have people that, uh, like you said, Larry. Um, in the past have received awards, and, and now they won't. And uh, from, from my perspective, that is just so wrong-minded because, like I also said, you, you take what is supposed to be a very good thing, that is an awards process, that is designed to reward your highest performers, and now you've turned that you know, thing that's supposed to be good, you've turned it into a negative. And uh, that, that's that's a problem. Well, going back to the pay raise, I know you were going to get into that. Uh, but as you uh, answer that question, kind of include in that what it's like for you. You, uh, you know, I, I know you've, you've been doing testimony before congressional committees lately uh, on a variety of issues. The pay raise is, is obviously one that and the possibility or possibility of no pay raise. Explain how that process works and how you deal with with our friends on Capitol Hill and how you try to uh, convince others who have not been as, as friendly to federal employees why it might be in their interest to to support something like a pay raise yeah so let me let me just kind of give I, that's that's a that's a good lead in Larry I appreciate that um, you know the pay I raise that underhand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the pay raise is something that um, you know as soon as we get done dealing with it for one year we're kind of on to the next year and, and working on, on that next um, pay raise. You know, I think probably uh, most people know that, you know, the pay raise for uh, 2020 was, was the largest pay raise um, that federal employees have seen in the last 10 years. Um, so that was, that was um, a really good thing. Now, let's talk about how that, that came into being, right? So everybody remembers that um, in uh, December of uh, 2018, um, we were all starting to deal with a government shutdown. And that entire year of 2018, the uh, president had uh, been talking about the fact, and, and had actually not not only talked about it, but put in his budget that um, federal employees in 2019 would, would get a um, pay freeze. And then we got into um, uh, 
we got into about November of 2018 and in, in, in December of 2018. And in fact, not only did his budget contain a pay freeze, but in fact, um, it was actually um, um, enacted. There was a pay freeze enacted. And NTEU at the chapter level, at the member level, and look, you know, one of the reasons that we are as successful as we are as a union is because we have a very strong national. We have a incredibly strong um, system of a uh, set of chapters, and we have a lot of really good members. And so we all got to work on that 2019 uh, pay increase, and uh, and the fact that it was at that point was uh, a pay freeze. We got to work on that, and we turned, for the first time in history, to my knowledge, we turned a pay freeze into a pay increase. And I think that was huge. Now, I think it had to do with, as I said, the work at the national and chapter level. It had to do with all of the calls and the letters and the emails that our members sent. It also had to do with the mood of the country. Remember, the country at that point in January of, uh, of uh, 2019, they were watching on national TV and reading in newspapers and magazines about federal employees who were um, having to go to food pantries and stand in food lines. And for the first time, I think there was this understanding that, you know what? These federal employees that we thought were wealthy and, and retired with these huge retirements, holy mackerel, they're just like us. And so we started to get some real support, I think, at that time from, from the country. So then we got, as I said, in 2019, a pay increase. And then shortly after that, the president put out his 2020 budget. And um, in his 2020 budget, guess what? calls for a pay freeze again. And then we moved into, we uh, moved to uh, September, I think it was, and no longer was it a pay freeze. He said, you know, we're going to, uh, we're looking at a 1% pay increase um, for, um, for 2021. And we said, absolutely not enough. So what did we do? We went right away to our friends on Capitol Hill um, and, you know, one of those is uh, Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii. Another is Representative Jerry Connolly. And they both had proposed um, in each um, side of Congress, one in the House and one in the Senate, the, what is known as the FAIR Act. And, and the FAIR Act um, called for a 3.5% pay raise in 2021. And I will tell you that um, at one point I thought, you know what, we legitimately might have a shot for that 3.5% pay increase. Um, and unfortunately, then in uh, uh, March of this year, well, we started hearing about it much before that, but, you know, we, we got hit with this pandemic and all of the um, economic problems um, surrounding the pandemic. And so I will tell you, and I've been telling people this, and, you know, this is one of the, my least favorite things to uh, say to people, but, you know, given the pandemic and the, and the economic impact it's had on our country, you know, I could, I could see um, where uh, the president comes out um, later on this year and, and says, 
you know, we're not going to have a uh, not going to have a pay increase. Now, with that said, I will tell you that we will continue to push as hard as we possibly can on Capitol Hill, in the media, and every other place that we have, you know, a foothold to try to to try to impact this. But I think it's going to be a tough. I think I think we're in for a uh, very very tough fight um, uh, this this year for for a pay increase in 2021. And you know, I'm just I'm going to be upfront with people about that. It's it is absolutely nowhere close to a done deal. It's going to be a big fight. Duncan Giles, your last question. Okay. Um, Basically, mine is an overreaching uh, type thing, and I know that shocks you both, Tony and Larry. Um, the couple of things I want to touch on quickly are, um, you know, pandemic, and I know that we're all in lockstep, all three of us are in lockstep, but it's very, still very, very serious, no matter what state you're in. And, you know, please wear a mask. Please do what, you know, you need to do. When you're coming back to the workplace, physical separation, you know, we're going to be pushing and making sure that you have what you need. Uh, the chapter just completed its order for um, masks for everybody, so we're going to have Chapter 49 logo masks for all members. Um, yeah, so I think that's very important. Um, I know we are all in agreement as well on Black Lives Matter. That's a huge thing to us. And, and Tony, I love your message about, you know, it's it's – Equality. Everybody needs to be treated as equal. It doesn't matter, you know, what what race, gender, you know, sexual preference, anything. It's like, you know, as I've always said, are you a good person or are you a jerk? It, anything else, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, you know, that's, that's the only thing that matters. And I, you know, want to get your thoughts on that. Is, and the question is basically, what do you think members need to be doing at this point to be ready to come back to work or to be, um, you know, doing something to help themselves. Yeah. Right. I think that's, I think that's an excellent, uh, excellent question. And let me just first, before I get into kind of what members can do to sort of help themselves right now, let me just say, yeah, you're right, Mike. And anybody that um, is in the chapter who's listening, or even if you're not in the chapter listening, you can see my statement. Um, that's on uh, the homepage, the front page, if you will, of our of our website, and I and I urge you to uh, uh, take a look at it. I think um, it better than how I can describe it right now um, in this short period of time. It it, it best puts into uh, words my my thoughts about uh, you know all of the things that are going on around uh, our diversity and inclusion and and uh, all, you know all those things. And and, and look. The bottom line is that it is incumbent on all of us, and especially in a union, to make sure that absolutely every federal employee, um, every human being, candidly, is, is treated fairly and not subject to discrimination. And I will tell you that that is one of the core values of, of um, what we and who we are as a labor union. So yeah, um, Duncan, you're exactly right. This that is um, a huge, huge issue for this union, but it should be a huge issue for our nation. And I think what we're seeing in the streets and what we're seeing um, all over the news waves and, and the radio waves and everything is that it is in fact being recognized finally as something that's got to be dealt with. And, and I couldn't agree more. Now, 
in terms in terms of what members um, can do uh, to help themselves right now, I think I think they can stay vigilant. Um, you mentioned wearing masks. I think it's in, incredibly important that we wear masks, all of us, because again, we're not protecting ourselves wearing masks. We're protecting our neighbor, our friend, our grandparent, um, our coworker. I think we need to keep in mind we got to make sure we wash our hands and we got to wash them a, a lot. We've got to avoid crowds. You know, uh, social distancing is important. Um, so you, you're protecting your family and your neighbors. Um, I think we've got to make sure that we organizationally, um, Duncan um, and Larry, keep innovating. Now, so what's an example of that? Let me give you one. I have to tell you, I mentioned it early on in this podcast, I absolutely love what your chapter has done, what Chapter 49 has done with this podcast. I think we've got to make sure that we find new ways to communicate with each other um, during all this. One of the things that I hear from our members more than any other, I heard it when we were facing the um, uh, government shutdown a year ago, and I've heard it throughout this pandemic. The thing that people love about this union, obviously we fight hard in uh, grievances and you know representational things, we fight hard on Capitol Hill, but the one thing that people really recognize us for in the time of crisis is that um, we communicate, we communicate timely, and we communicate effectively. And I think as a union, I have to tell you, when I look back on the shutdown, I look back and I look at what we're currently involved in with the pandemic, I could not be more proud um, to be the national president of a union that works so hard to care about um, its members and and the employees that we that we represent, and we take a lot of time. And it's not just national. I don't want people to hear this as, "Oh, there he goes talking about national." Hey, this is across. This is across national. It's it it includes all of our chapters, all of our chapter leaders. We're all a part of this. Um, you know, Duncan, you you remember this? You know, NTEU United has been kind of our our theme for this year, and there is not a better example of us working in tandem, all of us working together um, than through these, uh, these crisis situations. Well, I must say, uh, President Reardon, that uh, it, is, it is quite an honor to have you as a fan of the podcast, and it's an honor to have you with us today. I know we just, uh, I had plenty of more questions for you, but we try to keep this, I always have a philosophy about uh, podcasts that can, should not be longer than the average jog. So uh, we think we got it right about in the perfect place. Now, any final comment from Duncan? Um, I just want to say, again, thank you, Tony, for, uh, for sharing some time to be with us. And we do uh, reserve the right to revise and recall you uh, later on for uh, more commentary and question and answer. Well, I will tell you, uh, tell you both. Number one, I've had a great, I've had a, I've had a great time on this. And... Um, on the podcast, and I will be more than happy uh, to come back at any time. Look, I love doing this. This gives this gives me an opportunity to really talk directly in some ways to uh, uh, to our members, and so um, this is something that for me is so incredibly fun. And uh, I, let me let me just kind of close out my part, part of this, my comments with saying um, I um, think so incredibly highly of um, Duncan, your leadership and the leadership of, of Chapter 49, but I think highly of all of our members, all of our IRS uh, members in Indiana. 
Um, I have worked, like I said, at, at NTU for um, over thir- just over 30 years, and um, the work that you all do, um, number one, is incredibly important to um, our to our nation, certainly our nation's economy. And I know that all of you don't often hear thank you for the work that you do as an IRS employee, but let me um, tell you this. Um, as I take off my NTU National President hat, on, hat and I put on my uh, Citizen of the United States hat, I thank you. Because without you, um, the economy of this country grinds to a screeching halt. And so thank you, um, and hold your head high, and keep at it, uh, and keep working with us. We're going to do the very best we can for you. Well, you just heard National President for the National Treasury Employees Union, NTEU, Tony Reardon, Duncan Giles, President of Chapter 49. This is the Chapter 49 weekly podcast. Gentlemen, uh, great job. Thank you so much. And uh, our podcast will be back next week. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, guys.